Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Well, hello, and welcome back, or welcome to, if this is your first time, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. This is the podcast for entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders, and anyone who has that entrepreneurial spirit who's looking for some inspiration, that little umph, so that they can go do more. We are now up to episode number, I can't even believe I'm going to say this, 502, and we are just getting started. If you listen to episode 500, and I suggest you go back and listen to episode 500, I said that, you know, I, I think I'm just getting good around episode 500, so it's like we're just in our infancy. We're just starting out. Next 500 episodes, fasten your seatbelt, because uh, they're going to be awesome. I'm also kind of proud of that accomplishment because I've heard, and I don't have the actual statistic, but I've heard that somewhere around only 1% of the 700,000 podcasts that are on Apple Podcasts have actually reached that 500-episode level. Uh, Most of them die somewhere around episodes 7 and 12. There's a term for it. It's called pod fade because the podcast fades away. People start a podcast and think, oh my God, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to have a million downloads an episode. That's not why I started this show. I started this show because I wanted access to people who were doing cool things. I treated it like it was going to be my own personal university, and I was going to have the chance to talk to interesting entrepreneurs about what they were doing. And they were going to, they, they couldn't help it. They were going to leave a nugget, an idea, a theory, some sort of inspiration behind for me and the other people who would tune in and listen. I never thought I would be doing this for five years, and I never thought we'd be past episode 500, but here we are. And if I've learned one thing along the way, it is that success leaves clues. Think about that for a moment. When you get around people, either in person or by listening to this podcast or one of the other 700,000 shows that are out there, you get around successful people, they're going to leave some clues behind. Success leaves clues. And I think today... There's going to be more than some clues. I think there's going to be some roadmap because I have a great guest for episode 502. But before I get to Joe Sanek, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. And it is sponsored by another podcast. So I hope that you're listening to The Bias Disruption because human behavior, it is a complicated thing, especially when it comes to working and living together. While understanding why and how people behave in groups, that's what my friends, Dr. Josh Packard and Megan Bissell, it's what they do for a living. The bias disruption answers crazy questions like, what is the ideal team size? How do company cultures change? And where does innovation even come from? Now, if you've ever wondered how to make changes in your company that last, you need to be listening to The Bias Disruption. Megan and Josh, they use social science, real-world experience, and humor to share very useful insights. Plus, they play really nerdy games, and they are cool. So check out The Bias Disruption. But before you do that, listen to this episode, 502, with Joe Sanek. So Joe is a podcaster who I met at the New Media Summit. If you've been listening to the show lately, you know that a lot of my guests are people who I met at this podcaster's conference. It was full of really interesting people. And Joe was one of these people who it was serendipity. Uh, I was with my friend Adam from the Million Pound Mission podcast. And Adam and I were on our way to dinner. We were walking out of the hotel. There was someone from the conference right next to us. And we said, what are you doing for dinner? And he goes, I don't know. I thought I'd just use serendipity and see if anybody walked by. And we said, we're walking by 
come with us. And we all went and had hamburgers. And uh, it turned out that this guy was a good guy and someone who has quickly become a good friend of mine. And he is a therapist by training. And he now teaches therapists how to grow more successful businesses. So, Joe, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Tom, thanks so much for having me on your show. No, thank you. So I don't really read long bios. I just kind of give the gist and then I let you introduce yourself. So who is Joe Sanek and what do you do? Well, you you did a really awesome job without having any sort of bio in front of you. Yeah. Uh, you nailed it, almost all of it. Mental health clinician. Uh, I run something called Practice of the Practice, which is a podcast and a blog, YouTube channel that helps people that are big helpers. Uh, so healing and helping professionals, often that's counselors, coaches, uh, chiropractors, people like that, that they, they help the world in some way and uh, help them learn how to start, grow and scale their practice. Uh, and I've really been moving even more into helping them now launch podcasts. So what led you to sort of walk away from that mental health practitioner to become this, this coach of coaches, if you will, this, this therapist of therapists? What led you to become an entrepreneur and go a different path? Yeah, you know, uh, I was working at a community college and uh, loved that job, was a counselor to a lot of students that were struggling. And I had my mental health practice on the side, really as a side gig to pay off student loan debt. Uh, and I started to grow that, added a couple clinicians to the practice. And, uh, you know, 2012 hit for our family and my, my youngest daughter or oldest daughter, uh, she that year had open heart surgery. Mm. And so in the midst of that, um, we had a number of complications with it where the original surgery couldn't be done. And then um, everything worked out fine and it was all clear by the end. Two weeks after that surgery, uh, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And 2012 became this year of being in and out of the hospital, um, a year of just how much can a family really take. Uh, my wife had a miscarriage that year and it, and it forced me in a way I would never wish on someone to step back and say, is this really the direction that I want to go? Uh, I felt a lot of animation around uh, my, my group practice. It was growing. Um, and I had just started blogging just about what I was learning from, you know, a business book I would read or a podcast I would, I would listen to. Uh, and I found that I was really excited around what I was doing there. And so um, in 2014, I left my full-time job and all the security that came with that and went into full-time private practice and also doing the consulting uh, but then in 2019, sold the counseling practice and full-time do the consulting now. So that's that's quite an interesting sort of sort of path there. It sounds like there was some ups and downs, both personally and professionally. And now it sounds like everything's on the up. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, you know, life continues to throw every family curveballs. Uh, you know, there, there's always these things that happen. Uh, and for me, it's really important to really make sure I set up clear boundaries to slow down, to be able to reflect on those things that are happening, put the time into the things that matter. And then it ends up allowing me to put my best energy into just the things within my, within my practical work uh, by doing that, by really stepping back and allowing myself to clarify the best use of my time. So now that you've been doing this for a while and you've really got that entrepreneur hat on solid and you've got a whole team working for you, what do you love about the life of an entrepreneur? You know, I love the freedom, uh, the freedom to create. Uh, you know, we noticed about six months ago or so, 
that we are getting a lot of questions from our consulting clients about podcasting and to be able to kind of look at what we've done uh, with our podcast and how it's allowed us to level up uh, to go down that path and, and say, well, what if we did something here? Uh, how would we test that? How would we look at that? Um, the mixture to me of kind of the art and science, I just love where you know, I can look at some analytics and make decisions based on those while also saying, you know, where am I being pulled towards and what am I less interested in? Uh, you know, if I had just had a traditional counseling job um, and stuck with that, I, I wouldn't be happy right now because I need that creativity. I need those kind of bigger things to work on. Uh, and within my old job, I didn't have that. And uh, I, I enjoyed that job, but it was still a job. I didn't have that autonomy to say, what do I want to create? So I love the creativity. I love being able to uh, develop a team in the way that I feel a team should be developed uh, and to really have an impact on the world that's that's different than maybe I had seen uh, in this form in the past. So I want to touch on that creativity piece because I actually know a lot of people who have private practices, be it lawyers or accountants or therapists or coaches, and some of them are more entrepreneurial than others. I mean, obviously, if they're working for themselves and they have a private practice, they fall under that that umbrella of entrepreneur. But some of them seem to have like the entrepreneurial spirit bubbling out of them. And those are the people who have this need for creativity. Do you think that's a differentiator? I mean, you coach people who have a business, but the ones who are truly entrepreneurial versus the ones who aren't, do you think there's that, that, that artist inside of them? Yeah, I, I think that there are those inclinations, uh, but also recognizing what's an inclination and what needs to be developed, I think is really important. And, and so I am a natural artist. You know, whenever I you know was in school, I was always voted most artistic. So that's something that has always been very natural within me. Uh, but I see people that are very analytical and still have that entrepreneurial spirit bubbling out. Uh, it just comes out in a different way. They may do software as a service. They may do uh, some other form of kind of solving a pain. Um, and it may not be artistic. They may hire people that, that do that for them. So I would say it's it's more the, the people that are willing to push the boundaries that I see as being the commonality. Um, I hate, you know, kind of using the cliche of out-of-box out of thinking. But it, I think it's that they're okay with a little rebelliousness and to say, you know, I don't really buy it. I think there is a better way. Uh, that's the thing that I see as being the biggest common denominator. Hmm. So what advice would you have for somebody who wants to go out on their own? Maybe they have that job and they want to go start their own practice. What advice would you have for them? Yeah, I would have them start with experiments. I, I'm really big on experiments because uh, I never want someone's entrepreneurial decisions to negatively affect their life unnecessarily. There's always going to be risk. There's always going to be things that go haywire. Uh, but I, I would start with what's an experiment. And so uh, for a lot of people that might be just subleasing an office and not signing a five-year contract for an office. It might be getting a website up. Uh, the basic things that it takes to set up a private practice or a business uh, isn't that expensive. Uh, you can test things out to see if it's going to be something that you like or that people are willing to buy well before you invest tons of money into it. So I would start with some experiments and just gather a lot of information while you're doing those experiments and then reinvest as much as you can back into the company. Uh, so a lot, I would say most of our uh, profits after I say, you know, what's, what's the amount that I need for our family? Um, I try to reinvest back within practice of the practice so that we can outpace our quote, competition. I don't really have a competition mindset, but um, to be able to launch more podcasts, for us to be able to launch more consultants, for us to be able to uh, deliver new products at a higher level than maybe other people might, uh, for me, 
once that kind of baseline income comes in, I try to reinvest to grow the company faster. So you've been working with a bunch of people in your field as, as sort of a coach and a consultant to them as they grow their businesses. And one of the things I teach and that I, that I go in and, and work with companies about is this gap that exists for so many people between their potential and their results, the performance that they're getting. So having worked with so many people and seen so many clients, why do you think some people get farther across that gap from their potential to their actual performance while other people kind of get stuck or, or fall into the abyss? Yeah, I think there's a number of negative mindsets that they believe. Uh, and, you know, one of them kind of goes back to that idea of experimenting. A lot of people have a pass fail mentality that if I do something publicly and I screw it up, my career is over. Uh, that's a very pass fail mentality. That's what the world sets us up for. Uh, you go to grad school, you write a paper, you turn it in, you get a grade. Uh, that's not how business works. Uh, business works where you try something, if it doesn't work, you adjust it. Uh, you get information from it. You kind of switch it up a little bit. Uh, and so when people don't really reach their full potential, one thing that I see them do is that uh, they feel like, well, there's not you know, a whole lot of wiggle room for error here. When in reality, I think there really is. I think that uh, people can work through a lot of those negative mindsets. Also, I don't see them often having a supportive community of people that they can continue to grow with. Uh, and so they may need to, I don't want to necessarily say upgrade their friends because we, all of our friends have value, but look at who's influencing you. You know, if you're not around people that are pushing you to think differently and pushing you to become your best version of yourself, um, where can you find those people? And that might be a mastermind group that you pay for, or it may just be that you go to different community events to surround yourself with people that are moving in a direction that you want to head in. I actually think that that's, Huge. I mean, that's why I want to hang out with you because you're doing cool things. Yeah. You know, it's like hang out, hang out with people who are doing cooler things than you and uh, they'll pull you along. So that, that's why I'm glad we're friends. So well, and, and I would also add to, to that, that I really believe in the power of slowing down. And I am a fast extrovert that loves working on my business. And I set very clear boundaries for myself where I only work three days a week. I take four days off and it's sometimes torture for me where I just want to go work on something fun, like a new podcast. But in that slowing down, it allows the very best use of my time to bubble up. And even more importantly, it forces me to drop the ball. And that is where I say, okay, this was not important enough for me to work on this week. So I need to either eliminate it or I need to delegate it to somebody else. Hmm. That's, that's good. That's good advice. That's something I should start doing like yesterday. So Joe, I've got a couple more questions for you, but before I let you go, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content and growing your audience. Now, if you want to start a podcast, and I know you do, a lot of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. They give a little discount to my listeners, and they have been the best vendor I probably have ever worked with in my life. We would not have 502 episodes of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do if it wasn't for my partnership with Podfly. So, Joe, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in business right now? 
Yeah, I think for me, it's uh, training these helping professionals on how to start their own podcast. So even just hearing that advertisement is so exciting uh, that more people are getting into podcasting. Uh, I, I've been looking at the stats and, and kind of giving them, I guess, icons that I can actually understand and remember. And so I was looking at the stats in regards to a blog compared to a YouTube channel compared to a podcast that has actually launched a new episode in the last 90 days. And at New Media Summit, they had kind of presented some similar information that I was kind of presenting to my audience. And so if you think about a blog as a six foot tall person, the difference between that and a YouTube channel is the same difference between that six foot tall person and King Kong. King Kong's 104 feet tall. Now, the difference between that and a podcast that has launched a new episode in the last 90 days is the difference between King Kong and Mount Everest. And so for me, seeing people that have huge messages that are going to impact the world and are going to improve the world in some way and then finding their voice and then helping them learn how to do their own podcasts or how to outsource that to other people, uh, that is the most exciting thing that we're doing right now. I hope everybody heard that. This podcast right now, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, is comparable to Mount Everest eight times, wait, 24 times because we've released 24 episodes in the last 90 days. There you go. That's 24 Mount Everests. Yeah, you're almost to the moon. There you go. That's right. There's math involved. I have to leave that to my future son-in-law. I don't do the math in the family. Uh, my future son-in-law is a math genius. I leave all math to him. Um, so the other th last two questions I ask everybody who comes on the show is the first one is we could talk about you, Joe, and all the cool things you're doing. However, I think great entrepreneurs are observers. So when you look out into the entrepreneur sphere, sort of the world of entrepreneurship, who do you look at and say, wow, she or he, they're doing the cool things? Yeah, there, there are so many amazing entrepreneurs out there right now. And, and so I, I would say this is one of my uh, favorite people's uh, would be Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. They wrote the, the one thing. They are, both, they are both Austinites. They Kelly, are. Keller Williams to, started in Austin, Texas, and, and Jay uh -huh. Papasan is a friend of mine. He is a friend of mine as well. No. We went to dinner last time I was down there. No, yeah, no, he no. And no, Wendy no. and I went out for a movie and oh, got happy hour. And we're not that good of friends. He doesn't invite me for dinner. Oh, come on. <laughs> but but uh, but but uh, I do I do consider him to be very smart and very cool. And uh, he's now in trouble that he goes to dinner with you. And I just run into <laughs> him. I, he just says well, hi at Starbucks when I see him. Well, you know, and I think it's there. There is this whole amazing Austin scene down there, um, you know, with with him and like Hal Elrod and John Broman. I mean, just really great people down there. Um, so, you know, I look for entrepreneurs that are doing good things, um, but that also their life outside of it is really kind of clear outside of their business. And I, I feel like Jay does a really good job with that. Um, he, during his TEDx talk, he, he came to Traverse City and he and I spoke at the same time, um, like on different topics, but at the same event. And he was, one of the biggest things he said to me is, look at how old your kids are right now. And, you know, how many spring breaks do you have left between now and when they turn 16? Because when they're 16, 17, 18, they probably don't really want a spring break with you. And if they do, they're not going to pay attention. My answer would be zero because my kids right. are 17 and 22. Right. And so I have an, I have a, an eight-year-old and I have a five-year-old. And so the five-year-old, I have 11 more spring breaks. And, and so thinking about, okay, 11 spring breaks. Last spring break, instead of just doing some cheap little trip, we went out to Disneyland and we went to Joshua Tree and we had fun. And I feel like that mindset of entrepreneurs of 
really valuing your family, valuing your friends, the impact you have on the world. Those are the entrepreneurs that I am totally drawn to. It does go. It does go by fast. I mean, my my oldest daughter has graduated from college, uh, and she is engaged to be married. And they have just started their life. They just rented a place in Chicago. They both started jobs this week. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, they, I think when I think about my kids, it's, it seems so far off when we're doing bedtime and all that. But uh, you're right. It, you know, even just the difference between you know age eight and you know when they were babies. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, my 17 year old and I have a tradition that I think is awesome, and I try to tell everybody to do this when their kid starts high school, and that is every Friday. And we move it if I'm traveling because I travel about 110, 115 nights a year. So sometimes I'm gone on Friday, so we'll we'll shift it to Tuesday that week or whatever. But typically on Friday, she and I will go to Starbucks in the morning. It used to be instead of taking the bus, I would drive her to school. We'd stop at Starbucks. You know, she'd have a hot chocolate or whatever, and we would just talk for 45 minutes or an hour. And then she turned 16 and she was driving herself to school. So now we take two cars and we drive over to the Starbucks by her school. So she doesn't have to worry about when we're done. She's just across the street. But uh, and we still do it. And she's running track right now. So she leaves at 530 uh, for cross country. And so we've actually put that tradition on hold until uh, middle of October. Uh, As soon as cross country ends, we'll we'll start it back up because uh, we can't do it at 530 in the morning. But uh, we have been trying to sneak Saturdays in. Um, for that, but it's a great tradition. Every single week I get 45 minutes, just one-on-one. And I ask her about school. I ask her about what's going on. I know all the drama and the gossip and her friends are like, you want to go to coffee with your dad every week? And she's like, yeah, you know, it's our thing. So that's, that's my little trick is just get it scheduled when they're in high school. I love it. I love that. We, we do this thing that we call mega date where every quarter we do a four hour date, uh, me and one of the girls. And so they get to choose everything. If we go out to a movie, go public golfing, uh, go out to eat, it, it's up to them to tell me what they want to do. So we, we have these four hour dates we do every quarter. Nice. Well, and I think I told you when I met you, when we have another tradition, when the kids turn 13, they get to plan a three night trip anywhere in the United States continental with their mom. And they get to plan all the activities and the parents don't get to say, oh, we want to see that museum. It's totally what the kids want to do in that city. And then when they turn 16, they get to do it with dad. And so I had two girls. So when each one turned 16, I spent three nights in Boston uh, with my oldest and she was very academic driven and thinking about college already. So we, we toured like three universities in Boston and we did the, you know, all the history stuff and visited some family friends. And when the youngest one turned 16, she said Yosemite. And I said, you mean Chicago? And she said Yosemite. And I said, I think you're mis- messing up your words. I think you meant Seattle. Uh, Because I'm kind of a city guy. And she said, nope. And she and I spent three nights in the park in Yosemite uh, and had just the time of our lives. So uh, I always tell people that uh, that's that's a good tradition, too. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm totally stealing that one. (laughs) So the last question for everybody is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think if we're fortunate and let's face it, you're fortunate. I think that we have to find a way to do more than just make money. So so what do you do to serve others? Yeah, you know. This phase of life right now with having young kids, uh, we've moved out of having as much uh, kind of volunteer time like we used to. We started some microfinance programs a while ago. We used to be really active in Haiti. Um, We've kind of turned more towards financial giving for our impact, but then also getting more politically active, just wanting to have uh, a world where I can feel proud of our leadership and I can feel proud of how we're helping people out. Um, I'd say that financial giving and then also being active politically is, has been our biggest impact right now. Uh, but even, you know, taking our girls uh, to marches, uh, 
for us and to have those conversations with them. Uh, it's it's more on the individual level than maybe the macro level, but even surrounding them with people that we feel are improving the world, that are making the world better, um, has really been our priority right now um, to help them just realize what the world could be if they got involved in it. I think that's awesome. Are you making an announcement? Is it Joe Senek 2020? You're running for president? <laughs> no. I'd vote not for you. at all. Um, no, we, we right now are behind the scenes, uh, which is fine with us. Um, I, I have thought about politics, but to me, I'm not sure if that's where I want to make my impact right now. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll let you off the hook for now, but I think I think you'd be good at it. Well, so, thank you. So if someone's listening to the show and they're like, I need more of this Joe guy, where do they find you? Yeah. So if you search practice of the practice on any of the social media outlets, you'll find us. That's our website. That's our podcast. We also have podcastlaunchschool.com where we have uh, a download for people that will help them with their first stages of launching a podcast, 27 tricks, tips, and stats that will help people launch faster. Uh, we really try to go into the, the back end of why you should start a podcast to save you time before you ever get into order this mic and here's the logistics. It's really the why do you want to start a podcast? I think that's going to be for your listeners. Anyone that's thinking about podcasting, podcastlaunchschool.com is going to be the best spot for them to land. And what I think is great is there's so many courses out there that are all smoke and mirrors like, oh, get rich, you know, doing a podcast. You have such a realistic viewpoint of it. I think that that you're, you're better than 90% of the charlatans out there who are like, oh, oh yeah. be I famous mean, in four episodes. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. You know, when as we're planning out the actual course that we're launching, we don't even get to the tech side until module four of five. Um, the first three are to think through how this actually will impact your business. Because I see people who they just want to fill up their local business and they start this podcast that it's going to attract a national audience. And mm -hmm. it's like, why, why are you doing that? Because you just want local people. You should have a podcast about local things. <laughs> so uh, even just helping people decide, well, maybe I shouldn't do a podcast. Hopefully that's worth it for them. And, and that is the right answer for some people. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, podcasting, if done right, I think can help almost any industry. But, you know, to really be able to say, is this where you want to spend your time, where you're going to get the strongest return on investment for your time and money? Um, people got to sort that out before they ever order a microphone and start naming their show. <laughs> and it's uh, for me, not for everybody. There's some outliers who get, you know, super famous and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, they're billion dollar sponsorships by episode six. I've been five years and 500 episodes. It is now a valuable credibility tool. I get business from it. I've learned so much, but it took me time. It's a long tail play. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think a lot of people have that mindset of, oh, I'm going to just do 10 episodes and all these people will listen because they see someone like Tony Robbins do that. But Tony Robbins was already Tony Robbins. Dax Shepard was already famous. And, and so um, it is a lot of hard work. But boy, I don't know what you think, Tom, but for me, it's totally worth it in regards to leveling up. Oh, with, without question. I'm still trying to figure it out. That's, that's, why, that's why I'm friends with you, Joe. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you very much to everybody who tuned in and listened. You know, because you listen every single show all the way to the end. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So if you like cool things entrepreneurs do, I have two favors for you. And very few people do these two things, or at least the first one, because I can track it. Go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast love and leave a review. It makes my day so much happier when somebody talks about why they listen to this show. We get a couple of reviews a month three or four. We've had a couple of hundred over the life of the show, but I also know that a thousand people are downloading this episode or more because Joe's so cool. We'll go higher. Uh, 
we're not getting that many, you know, comments and there's a lot of new listeners. The second thing I ask, I can't track. It's just the good vibes that are out there. Go tell somebody about it. Most people I meet who listen to cool things entrepreneurs do, I say, oh my gosh, that's so great that you listen. How did you find it? They say, my brother told me, my mom told me, my teacher told me, someone told them. So uh, join that army of people who talk it up because that's the only way the show is really going to grow. And come back. There's 501 episodes you can go back and listen to or come back in a couple of days because we're going to have an interview with somebody just as cool as Joe. I know you're thinking, how is that possible? But we'll figure it out. But in the meantime, go out there, challenge yourself, try new things, get some stuff done. And while you're doing it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.